0: Hey, what's up, everybody? My name's MJ, and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. I'm going to give my usual shout-out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. Today's episode of the podcast is another control room segment, where I bring my friend Ryan, a.k.a. Sodium Chloride, on the Discord, on to talk about various things we really enjoy about Magic the Gathering. Today's episode is going to be on the set pre-cons, specifically the set Commander pre-cons that have been released since Zendikar Rising came out in September of 2020. These are the quote-unquote cheaper Commander decks um, that typically run about MSRP. I mean, if there wasn't MSRP, but they run typically about $30 max and are fully functional Commander decks that are fun to play and actually not as bad as their price would indicate compared to previous products. So, uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce my friend Ryan. Hey, Ryan,
1: what's up? Um, well, not a whole lot, I suppose. Just uh, been testing out the Commander precon that I oh, got, really? and uh, yeah, and doing all the the usual stuff that that involves, like attacking people and mm-hmm. getting nuked. Yep.
0: So um again for all the listeners at home here we're talking about the set commander decks again the ones that started with Zendikar Rising started with lands wrath and uh, sneak attack so the lands wrath starting with or, or at least the commander Obun Muldai ancestor running in uh running in Naya colors so red green white and sneak attack with Anuwan the Rune Thief uh the rogue tribal deck running in Demir that's blue black color pairing and. Uh, Going through the Commander Legends with Wireless Soul of Steel and AC uh, Tyrant of Gyre Straits being the commanders for that one. And then the ones that are about to be released here for Call Time being Elven Empire with Lathril, Blade of the Elves, as well as Phantom Premonition with Ranar, I I assume the Ever Watchful, effectively Blink, and Fortell Commander. So again, these products are extremely new to the Commander lineup. Again, last year, the Year of Commander... There was Commander 2020, five distinct new Commander decks built out of the Ikoria Standard release set. And these new Commander uh, decks, the set decks anyway, were released starting with Zendikar Rising as kind of a new business model for uh, Wizards of the Coast. Something different about these set decks is that they typically run many fewer original cards not made for Commander cards, but they do run a lot more reprints. Now, again, that's changed a little bit with the Time set where there's some cards with some new art and um, de- definitely some newer cards and a lot of cards from the Time set, but with Zendikar Rising or Commander Legends, it's a lot more reprints and a lot of value put into a small package. So um, again, I wanted to uh, talk about that new deck of yours, Ryan. So um, yesterday, Ryan and I were playing some Commander with a typical play group, and Ryan got to test out the Wireless Soul of Steel deck from Commander Legends, specifically the Arm for Battle precon. And um, it, it's it's interesting to think, uh, Ryan, about these precons because uh, we typically think as Magic players, the precons are fairly bad they're very linear they do one thing well if at all and I, I think what we're, what we're what we're trying to do on today's episode is just talk about how that's not the case how we think these set commander decks can actually be rather decent they do need upgrades yes but they're a very good starting point whether you're a beginning player or someone returning to the game or someone who's been in the game like you for the last 20 years so um, if you could give us some thoughts on um, that Wyleth deck
1: yeah, I mean it's 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 better than than what I in terms of actual play than what I kind of expected it to be. Uh like given um what my experiences have been playing against people with precons in the past and and also like my experience playing with people's borrowed precons, um it it actually outperformed my expectations. Uh, I wasn't quite sure how well it would um it would it would kind of ramp up in terms of power over the course of a game and and sort of whether it would scale with other people's decks. And I thought that it actually did an okay job. Um, that's not to say that it's uh, a completely um, you know powerful deck by any means. It was a little low in terms of his power level compared to something like a mid power deck, obviously, right? And also because it's a little bit vulnerable as a Voltron deck to. Uh, sort of reprisal attacks from your opponent if you do run over and smack them in the face mm-hmm. But a lot of the cards in there are pretty good value, and I think they synergize pretty well with Wyleth and um, I didn't even use the, the one of the sort of the central synergies to the deck which is the use of, of, of Sunforger like I, I mm-hmm. never even drew Sunforger during either of those uh, what was it two games yeah yeah you, so i was just playing raw off of off of wyleth and wyleth is um he's uh one pretty powerful powerful pony right there mm-hmm. uh he 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 is card advantage on a stick uh he he's really good at drawing a lot of cards if you can manage to get equipments and auras on him mm-hmm. like if you have like six or seven auras or enchantments on him which which is not the hardest thing in the world to do later on into the game um you're talking about him drawing you six or seven cards every time he just attacks not if he does damage just attacking a player mm-hmm. does that does that card draw yep, he's so right on fine. the attack
0: trigger there so for, yeah for, right uh, on the attack yeah. trigger so, so, for anyone listening at home, Wireless Soul of Steel is a two-two legendary human warrior for one Boros red-white, and has Trample. And whenever Wireless Soul of Steel attacks, draw cards for each Aura and equipment attached to it. So, as Ryan said, this is a very Voltron, um, so, so very, um, a strategy that is based around trying to hit your opponents for twenty-one commander damage to knock them out of the game, given commander's special rule set. And when you look at the deck list for this, there's a lot of really good cards from Magic's history. Again, maybe they're not the best in the Wyleth deck, but you end up with a lot of very interesting, uh, some combat tricks here, a lot of artifacts, a lot of good artifacts. Again, we're, we aren't going to include um, Sunforger on that. There aren't, and, and, and there are a lot of instants to be able to get with Sunforger, because obviously when you play Sunforger in any sort of deck, it's going to kind of take over your card selection. But yeah. there's a lot of enchantments, a lot of artifacts in this deck. Maybe not enough necessarily to get Wyleth going, you know, at, at top top level. But the fact is is that there's a lot of things here like Bone Splitter, um, Explorer Scope, Equipped for One sort of thing. Um, some of the Rings of Thune, Ring of Valkus, these all attach for one. And again, every time... Wyleth attacks, whether or not the damage gets through, you're able to draw a card off of that, which is something that Boros has not typically been able to do until recently. Um, Wileth and uh, Cary, Fear- Fearless Voyager, have obviously changed that, but you have to jump through some hoops to be able to draw the cards. Maybe not the best, but still, the fact is is that this seems to be a fairly solid deck um, for a strategy that doesn't necessarily get a whole lot of uh, support um, out out there, especially in, in a lot of the made for commander uh, cards, or e- or even the precons for that matter.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it. He's he's certainly um, better than what I have kind of seen in terms of being card draw uh commander out of um you know Boros colors. I mean white and uh red are not exactly known for being <laughs> uh. Colors strong and card advantage. Boy, um, do I know that with my board. Oh yeah, deck, and I know that from playing playing a mono red, uh, you know, mono red commander deck for so long. And that has, uh, for the longest time, red was a drought of ability to actually refill your hand, other than using wheels of various forms. Now they have like impulsive draw, mm-hmm. and like more cards that do like pilfering, kind of effects mm-hmm. where you're cycling through things, and that's super duper welcome because uh, red is, is definitely not a, a deck manipulation color. Um, same thing with white, to a large extent. In fact, whites it's even worse, because they don't generally have like any impulsive draw effects. And in terms of their draw effects, they're kind of a little limited. You know, I think, what is it? It's, uh, it's not Mentor of the Meek, is it? Um, yeah, in, you...
0: in Mono White, Mentor of the Meek is a three cost creature, and whenever you play, or whenever a creature with power of two or less enters the battlefield, you may pay one. If you do so, you draw a card.
1: Okay. That is like the. When that was introduced, that was kind of a big thing, and it was a really powerful, popular card, right? It mm-hmm. still is. White... I
0: still play it in my Boros deck. Because yeah. my Boros deck is a token deck, so I run a lot of one and two power tokens in that deck, so um, Mentor and the Meek does a lot of work. It actually it ends up being more of a threat though. That That's kind of the thing you have to remember about the, the white card draws, that people will always see that and then try to remove it as quickly as possible because they know you don't have many other ways to be able to draw cards.
1: Yeah, and playing mono white in fact is, is harder in, in, than playing a mono red in terms of refilling because you know with mono red you do have access to wheels you have access to, uh, you know, cards like Tormented Voice, uh, uh, Faithless Looting, and stuff mm-hmm. that can help you kind of cycle in things and cycle out of things, right? And there's been a bunch of cards introduced lately that that have those kinds of effects. But in white, you don't really got so much of that. No, you um,
0: have to, to kind of rely on artifacts to be able to do that. Anyway, um, so and, as far- and so that, so that ties
1: into Boros though as well. Like Boros isn't also known for its card advantagey sort of playstyle, it's generally kind of known for being kind of um having to kind of lean on other other kind of strategies in order to get cards right and not run out of steam mm-hmm.
0: so as far as this deck played out did it meet your expectations for a deck especially given that it is cheaper than most of the commander precons when they come out
1: uh yeah it was it was really good i mean it, it don't underestimate the powerful or the power of having drawing like five cards during like a combat phase that that is huge. It gives you so much selection in terms of being able to um, have mana available that you can play almost at all times and also having lots of answers for things. I'm saying the only problem with the pre-con is that some of the cards in there I'd probably change out and that they don't, they're not maybe the best for I think having a consistent strategy there is some stuff kind of sprinkled in there that I don't know if fits in really well with the commander itself um, and I think there's also some you know land mana base issues there with some of the choices particularly you know just choosing like basic tap lands and gates mm-hmm. which I'm not really a huge fan of. I think in many ways, just having a basic land in its place is better. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, you know, um,
0: you probably don't need a rupture spire in there for a two color yeah, deck. Yeah,
1: rupture instance. spire, yeah, and transguild promenade are not good for a two color deck anyways. In fact, I, I wouldn't use either of those. Um, I generally probably wouldn't use either of those unless I was playing at least th- a three color. Yeah, three deck.
0: Th- three color decks those work, but. Yeah, so uh, again, and and a lot of other people have talked more in length about how bad pre-con mana bases are and how Wizards would probably do well to start reprinting a lot of the good um, dual lands. A- again, we're, we're not talking about the ABUR dual lands. We're, we're just talking about the ones that if you meet a basic requirement, they come into play untapped. So, Yeah,
1: yeah. and I've, I've seen, though, that the, the pain lands, the old-school pain lands, the standard ones, are like so much less expensive than they were when i like like 15 years ago so you want to throw a battlefield
0: forge in that deck for instance yeah
1: like a battlefield forge used to cost that card like if you wanted to get your hands on a copy was at least like five dollars for any of those pain lands Mm -hmm. if not ten dollars for some of them and now like you can get yourself a copy of those in some cases for like Mostly like less than a dollar in some yeah, cases. And, I, and payments I are mine, really good. Yeah,
0: I got mine from a friend, uh, my Battlefield Forge from my Boros deck. And I mean, I typically don't use it for tapping mana. I mean, uh, at least not the colored mana, but it is nice to have that in there because it is one life, it is Commander, and it's not a big deal. So, yeah, fixing the mana base is definitely one of the things about the pre cons. But I mean, as far as the overall amount of value, I think uh, that you had a lot of fun oh, yeah. playing that. Uh, deck last night and, and again oh
1: it's, it's it's great yeah
0: the fact that you're able to keep up um someone on the card draw with my mono blue deck which is designed to draw cards by the ton um yeah. was actually yeah. quite impressive is the fact that the boros player was able to keep tabs or at least keep somewhat equal with my mono blue card draw card draw card draw strategy so i was very impressed by how that wyleth deck played out and yeah. it's definitely something that with a little bit of tweaking could be very potent in the near future
1: I mean, it almost looks a little bit silly on the face of it. Like, you have a player playing, playing Boros, like an archetype not known for having an expansive selection of, uh, like, you know, a deep well of cards to play, right? And I'm thinking about, like in the future throwing in like a spell book or like a, a thought oh, vessel yeah, that, or like that, something that'd, that'd else perfect. in here so that i can have like a 20 grand reliquary hand. tower
0: at some point <laughs> reliquary tower well, i mean the, um, th- those things are like two bucks but again think w- with how this, little um land destruction occurs in our format especially not in our play group specifically yeah um, reliquary tower is fairly safe does
1: this is- deck list com- does this come with a reliquary tower or is no it one-
0: Re- reliquary Ta- I, I, again again going to the mana base issues is that reliquary tower is one of those things that probably should be included in some pre-cons but um again you know really Re- Re- yeah reliquary tower has its own set of uh detractors and positives on its own just because you don't always need it in the deck so personally i use reliquary tower for decks where i know i'm going to be drawing a buttload of cards but other times if you have eight cards in your hand sometimes you just have to discard
1: so, one of the standout cards in this precon mm-hmm. I found is Sigarda's um, Aid. Oh, yeah, which is that's Aid, a really good card. Yeah, it, which is a one drop for white. It's an enchantment. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh, it states you may cast aura and equipment spells as though they had flash. And Ooh, uh, whenever so nice. equipment enters the battlefield under your control, you may attach it to target creature you control. So, it's a one drop that effectively lets you flash in both auras and equipment so you can basically uh, equip custom or equip them at like just drop them onto the field at any time
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and not only that but when it enters the battlefield it just magnetically attaches to anything you want it to so it just completely um, bypasses the equip costs which is pretty good it's kind of like brass squire except which is actually than brass in the deck squire. mm-hmm and as well as
0: Dan the Capuchin Paragon from who was released in the Dominaria set who allows all of your first... Uh, she has First Strike Vigilance and Lifelink, which is not bad at all for for a 3-drop 2-2, but also allows all your aura and equipment spells you cast to cost one less. So she's a real powerhouse in this deck just in the 99 and definitely helps soup up Wyleth. But you also do have the Brass Squire in here, which allows you to tap it and... Uh, t- attached target equipment. You control the target creature you control, which is just perfect, for, especially for things that get around the... Um, I mean, it, it gets around equipment like your um, Locks on Warhammer, or something that has yeah. equip cost three, which gets kind of a pain sometimes to do, but yeah, if you have Brass Squire out there, it's free.
1: I mean, you can imagine, uh, what is it, the giant hammer card? Mm-hmm. Oh, crap. Locks on Warhammer. R- is, is there has or- that ridiculously large oh, equip cost? Oh,
0: um, 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 oh... Uh,
1: what was it, Giant Hammer or something? No, colossal it's... Colossal yeah,
0: um, yeah, Colossal... something. Or
1: something.
0: Uh, it was played against us last night, actually, and I just cannot yes. remember the name of it. Oh, for the life of me, I'll, I'll look that up That here. card
1: is good, and getting around an equip cost on a card like that and just attaching it to, like, Wyleth or whatever is, is nuts. It's nuts. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, the only issue, I think, in some ways... Uh, like with Sigarda's aid is I do think it is a little better for equipment players than it would be for aura players because if you're an aura based person you probably there are other ways that you can already give auras or enchantments flash um but if you're an equipment player there aren't that many other cards that can that are known for giving equipment cards flash yeah so Um,
0: it's colossus hammer a colossus and, yeah hammer. so equip creature yeah. gets plus 10 plus 10 loses flying equip cost eight but it costs only one to play
1: so imagine dropping that thing let's say you're swinging to attack a person and they're like ha!" Ah, 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 your guy is only like a five two and i've got this big ass eight eight that's also like uh gonna kill your dude and... it's not a combat
0: trick Ryan. remember it only equips as a sorcery so you can't do that at instant speed
1: the in- e- equip oh you can't Dang no it.
0: It, it, it's oh. only at sorcery speed so unfortunately you have to telegraph what you're doing but that's just the nature of the beast
1: but uh it says though uh whenever an equipment enters the battlefield control you may attach it to target creature control oh, not well, equip it
0: well if, if you're running Sigarda's aid yes if you yeah if that's you what i was are, talking about oh god yeah, yeah 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 then yes you could activate that as a as a very ex-
1: Has a very inexpensive combat trick, yes. I mean, in in, in Sigarda's aid, I mean, if you wanted to sneak something in there by having that thing drop down and then pop out, like, that's pretty hilarious, I must say. Like, having a giant flying—it's like Thor's hammer, you know, Mm -hmm. like, just summoning it into your hand, (laughs) you know? In fact, the art for Sigarda's aid actually depicts uh, an angel giving a dude a hammer. Like from the sky, so.
0: Well, I mean, it, it 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 is supposed to be going back to lore with Sigarda, um, yeah. going back to I believe this was Eldritch Moon. Maybe. Yeah. As, as and, far as the lore it was, and Shadow the Shadows Block, but yeah. I think um,
1: there's. Um, it's just there, a really good card. It's yeah, it is a really good card, and there's another card also that they printed in here for the first time. Uh crap! I can't remember which one that is.
0: Let's see. The, um, the only new cards were Blazing Sunsteel, um, Timely Ward, and Wyleth.
1: Oh, really? They've yeah. played Sigarda's aid before?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, that like I said, I think that came out um, probably in the Shadows Over Innistrad mm. block because that seems to be very uh, topical with the Vorthos and the and the card yeah. art, where Cigar well, t- obviously being the only archangel that hasn't yeah. abandoned humanity, seems to make sense.
1: Yeah, and Timely Ward is actually. Pretty good in my opinion as well. Um, it's also a, a flash aura mm-hmm. kind of thing, and uh, if it targets a commander,
0: yes. If it but, comman- targets a commander, but again, I mean. you are going to be using this on wyleth There's only 11 other creatures in the deck, so you're pretty much going to be Voltroning this one out.
1: Yeah, and flashing an indestructibility into play is kind of handy in some circumstances. Uh, I'll put it that way because. Mm-hmm at least that's what i used it for when i played it is i kind of like oh you're gonna do this well flash indestructibility into play so i mean i know it is an aura so there is the danger of getting two to one there if someone like Mm -hmm. removes your creature or whatever in like an exile manner or if they like you know do negative one negative one counters on that like um some kind of like noxious whatever effect and you know
0: you are playing in boros so you kind of have to get take what you can get sometimes and on in terms of card effects like that
1: yeah and it i i will say that it, i like timely ward i think it's actually costed pretty fairly for what it does mm-hmm. and i think giving anything indestructibility especially at instant speed is very very handy for a
0: 3 yeah for a
1: 3 especially
0: yeah. since it sticks around
1: yeah, it's not like a temporary one, which most of, like, these white or, or most any other color, like, indestructibility kind of mm-hmm. uh, cards are, like, instant speed. Hey, you can, this thing out has indestructible until the end of its turn, and then it doesn't, it just goes away. And in which case, it's like, oh, so I just burned a card to do that, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, that's not bad. That's actually really good on the face of it, because yeah, it most really is. Um, removal is either damage-based or it's based around just destruction, right? Yeah. Uh, so indestructible, in many ways, I think is, is pretty pretty valuable. Mm-hmm. And plus, Definitely it is. saves it from board wipes, which is like another huge problem mm-hmm. um, out there. Yeah, and, and, like, and you don't want to get. There are three and three of those in the deck with Marshall Coup.
0: If you pay enough, and oh, actually no, only two: Marshall Coup and Winds of Wrath.
1: Yeah. Oh, there's a Comet Storm too. Well, yeah,
0: but but you, but, but, you but, count, that, that but that's more like, like player, yeah, uh, removal if you want to. Yeah anywho um, so i mean i, I feel like we've kind of beaten this one to death on this <laughs> on, on, on this specific deck is that we found that there's quite a bit of value in there in this deck because cigars aid very recently was like 10 bucks on its own so you're already um like a third of the weight of the deck cost just on that one specifically so there, there's a lot of cards yeah. in here that aren't very valuable price wise, but again, I just the way I look at building decks, I don't feel like the price of the card really accurately explains the card's value in a deck, especially if yeah. you can figure out how to build things correctly.
1: I so mean, see, the I'm, thing oh, is, is, is like the majority of rares out there are going to be cheap rares, right? Mm-hmm. And some of them, yeah, are kind of garbo, but a lot of these cheap rares aren't like cheap because they're bad. They're cheap because there might be this bomb card that's out there that's floating around in Commander or, like, Modern or whatever that does it just incrementally better, whatever that card can do. But, like, to the point where barely, barely better at all if you think about how long Commander games are and how small of a swing that really is, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like incremental min-maxing to go for, like, the most expensive card in some cases, yeah. you know?
0: So I wanted to pivot here to uh, the original two set commander decks. And I picked these up back in September when Zendikar Rising dropped. So these are the Land's Wrath and Sneak Attack pre-cons. And I picked these up originally. Most of these I was kind of curious to see what I would get out of these. I cannot report having ever played with Obun Moldai Ancestor with the Land's Wrath deck because I already have a couple decks that care about land's. So I have actually this one is actually still sitting in the box and may never see play. Mostly I kinda got it because Arcane Signet was in there and that was floating around three to four dollars before the printing. So it was really nice to be able to have that in my collection. Now again, that's changed since then, but and the price has come down. But the fact is is that it was I was more interested in you know, the sneak attack deck. Again, this is gonna be the Anwan the Rune Thief and um, Rogue Tribal. So, again, he is a 2-4 for Vampire Rogue for 2 Demir blue, 2 blue-black, and other Rogues you control get plus 1, plus 1, and whenever one or more Rogues you control deal combat damage to a player, that player mills a card for each one damage dealt to them. If the player mills at least one creature card this way, you draw a card. So, I did play with this deck some. I, um left most of it intact again most of the creatures are fine because again i didn't have a lot of rogues in my bin uh, of chaff commons but i found that the deck was kind of imbalanced in a lot of ways and anewon just wasn't really the kind of card draw you needed to make this deck go
1: yeah if
0: you were relying on uh, in wireless is much better because you're going to be attacking with him anyway But I found with Anawan that it was kind of difficult to get him to stick. And then the second thing is you have to have some of your creatures who are rogues be able to get through and do damage. And they're all so damn small that, you know, you're going to be making someone mill two, three cards, maybe. And the the odds that they're going to have, you know, discard a, or excuse me, mill a creature card is... One in three at best if they're running a creature-heavy deck and much less if they're not. So the fact is you're probably you're, you're, you're making a mill just a couple of cards at a time and it's really not worth it unless you can really swing out with a lot of rogues, in which case you're probably more likely to kill them through damage than you are through any sort of milling or card draw. And you can only draw one card for each player you're attacking no matter how many creature cards they end up discarding. So I, so unlike Wyleth where you're able to just uh, suit them up and uh, swing in for a lot of damage, potentially, or even just get some attack trigger things if something bounces. Anwan not only has to swing... Oh, sorry, not only do you need to have a lot of rogues on the battlefield, plus Anwan for it to work, um, but you also just need a lot of luck to be able to really get those cards off the effect, and it's just not really the same as wireless. So I ended up tearing this one apart because it's really not that great, I found, and never really did what I wanted it to. But, yeah. if it, but if we look at past that, though, I feel like the uh, tribal support for um, just any sort of tribe through this, uh, through this deck was actually rather interesting. Um, the Obelisk of Erd, which is a six mana um, artifact, which has Convoke, so your creatures can pay for it. You choose creature type, creatures you control yeah. the chosen type, get plus two plus two. Um, there's, again, a Blackblade Reforged, which is really nice for making your commander larger, though it doesn't really make a lot of sense for Anawan because he does not have any evasion tacked on to him. But then there's just a whole lot of weird, um, like trying to take stuff out of your opponent's graveyards, Polkrow Primordial, Necromantic Selection, Endless Obedience, things that put target creature cards from a graveyard on the battlefield under your control. But again, you're probably not milling that many cards to begin with, with your Rogue. So, again, it, it's one of those things where this was a very imbalanced deck from the get-go, and I never really got my feet wet with this deck, and I tore it apart. But the fact is that um, there's a lot of really good reprints in this deck for any sort of deck. It doesn't have to be Rogue Tribal, and, again, the fact that I was able to get this for... I mean, I got the set for 30 bucks. So, I mean, the fact that I got this deck for $15 made it really worth the investment to just give it a try and see if it worked.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd say the reprints are good value in and of themselves and make a lot of these things worth it, right? Even mm-hmm. if your ultimate goal is just to break them, you know, break them apart and then use that value inside of them. But uh, I, w- I will say that it, in, in terms of me commenting on Anawan the ruined thief is that maybe it falls into like uh, the same kind of problem as Sig River Cutthroat, mm-hmm. you know. Which is in Where... the deck. Yeah, and Sig River Cutthroat I think is a little bit better in that it's not, you know, when this thing deals damage, it's more like whenever a creature, you know, well, no, whenever it's... an opponent
0: at the beginning of yeah. each
1: end step in a yeah. has lost three or more life this turn, you may draw a card. Yeah. So And so it's it's, it's but it's still also yeah. based on an after effect, mm-hmm. in which case you get the the card draw. But you have to fulfill this specific condition this specific effect, right? Whereas, you know, with Wyleth it's just like whenever you swing at anything You get this thing immediately, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like a wait until the end of of the turn, and then you get these cards. It's like you get these cards immediately as soon as he's off and running with his sword. Yeah. You know, which is a super swingy kind of way of doing it because you're getting that, like, instant speed card draw. And that is really nice,
0: yes. Yeah.
1: It's really nice. So –
0: yeah, th- this deck was extremely imbalanced for playing it, and I felt like the deck was extremely underpowered. But again, it's a pre-con, so I kind of expected that going in. Um, I'm, I'm going to take a quick break here and remind everyone that this is MJ and Ryan. We're doing Control Room Episode 3, talking about set pre-cons. Again, these are the pre-cons that have been released since Zendikar Rising in September 2020 and are effectively like 20 to $30 Commander decks functional commander decks that i think wizards is trying to see if they can make kind of a planeswalker deck version of these commander decks so maybe the power level isn't as high in general as the regular commander yearly releases but um on today's episode we're talking about how much value there is in these decks even if they aren't the best decks uh to play on the face so um yeah just to finish uh, my thoughts up on this is that there were some very good reprints in the Anawan deck, especially, again, Sigrid River Cutthroat was getting up there in cost. But also, you end up with Una, Queen of the Fae, which was sneaking up on like $15 before the reprint and is now down to a dollar thanks to this one. So a lot of players who maybe didn't have the means to uh, be able to purchase her um, previous to this deck being printed um, now definitely have easy access. There was also some very popular cards. Uh, Ogre Slumlord was in this deck. Scourge of Fleets as well as the ever-popular Sir Conrad the Grim, who's still under a dollar, but an amazing commander if you haven't played against him, or if you have played against him, I'm very sorry, it works. As well as Zulaport Cutthroat, which is kind of like one of the uh, mainstays of the aristocrat strategy. I know Zulipor Cutthroat very well, as well as, obviously, we we really like uh, Demir Signet being included in the deck. That was getting up to like five, six bucks before the... Before the product was released, and now it's down to like a buck fifty because of the release. So the Signets are extremely helpful, as well as uh, Black Blade Reforged coming out, and etc., etc. So there's a lot of very interesting cards that came out as well, and gaunty Lord Luxury also kind of came along along for the ride as well. So there's some value in this deck, maybe not so much financial value, but there's a lot of interesting legendary creatures to play around with in, in this deck if you just want to tear it apart for value.
1: Yeah, and. If, if these were intended to be just like starter deck kind of levels of power and complexity, mm-hmm. like I don't know if they exactly hit that mark here with Wireless because a deck that includes Sunforger, which is kind of a complex card with a really deep well of choice and strategy to it, I don't know exactly how well-suited that would be to a starter deck. <laughs> it is, it's is—it's just kind of powerful, and it, it requires a lot of knowledge about the deck in order to be able to play that to the best of one's ability. And it's the same thing with this, a couple of other cards here. Um, they're not self-explanatory whatsoever. You, you kind of have to have a little more experience to understand. Mm-hmm. But I think that actually adds value to the deck, the fact that they're not just like, ah. Oh, Here's a bunch of ge- a draft chaff here, and, and and here's one or two rares in in this whole thing, but the rest of them are uncommons and commons that nobody really needs. Yeah, you know, they're not like planeswalker decks, or what the planeswalker decks were. They actually have some good reprints in them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, maybe the power level of some of these cards is not as high as like you know, um, in previous, like, the yearly commander releases. But we also got commander legends uh instead so i'll say that that's kind of like a fair trade it really is me.
0: and um my thought on the land's wrath deck is that again it may not be the most powerful deck it's got some weird synergies but if you're looking for some good cards out of the deck you have acidic slime which is obviously a very classic commander card can destroy one of a lot of different things you know, a maria shepherd a maria angel um, you have Mina and Den, Wildborn for your, uh, Landfall deck, Multani, Omnath, Locus of Rage was in this deck, Sun Titan is in this deck, you just have a whole, Return of the Wild Speaker, which is just an amazing, uh, green enchantment, or, sorry, green instant, excuse me, for in a green instant you can draw cards equal to the greatest power among non-human creatures you control, or pump all your non-human creatures plus three plus three until end of turn, as well as just some interesting, um, Ramp cards, and I mean it, again, it's not a great deck, but I've heard that a Boon will die ancestor can be a fairly powerful commander if you want it to be, and I just feel like for the fifteen to twenty, maybe thirty dollars that these decks go for, there's still a lot to like in these decks, even if some of the card choices are a little weak. But again, we have to consider the fact that the MSRP—I mean, oh sorry—again, there is no MSRP anymore. Wizards has done away with that. But if we were gonna to work off like a twenty to twenty-five dollar. Uh, quote-unquote MSRP, that you're probably going to be paying for one of these decks, whether through your local game store or online or somewhere like that, you're getting a lot of value for your money. You may not be getting the same amount of value for out of a $40 deck. I mean, sir, if you're buying a $40 deck, you're probably going to want to get $40 worth of value at least out of it. But for these, I feel like you're getting the f- almost $40 worth of value out of a $25 deck. So I feel like even though they're not the greatest to play, you're getting a lot of interesting cards to add to your collection, if nothing else
1: yeah and i think I think they're definitely worth it for the price that you you'd pay for one of these things uh because of that and I know they' they're coming out with two new ones in in Kaldheim as well and both yeah. of those look pretty cool so do you want to talk myself. about
0: those Ryan?
1: yeah, so they have one of them which is a you know, a white blue uh uh bicolor um uh precon and then they also have one which is a black green like Golgari pre-con and they both have sort of varying effects one of them is the black green one it is like an elf tribal deck is the closest way i'd describe it whereas the um the white and blue one is kind of sort of based around blinking but it's blinking more with a, a theme uh including the the new set's um, foretell mechanic where mm-hmm. you're taking things out of your hand and then putting them face down seems so it's a like a where the good commander seems like a good yeah. effect honestly yeah it's a good effect and the commander is kind of rewarding you for playing in that specific manner and um so that both of them utilize some pretty powerful design space you know one of them is utilizing this brand new ability that um that uh, will be featured in call uh, time when it actually drops uh i think a couple days from now yeah and the other one is treading kind of ground where uh you know in elves and elves are pretty fruitful territory for tribal i'll put it that way mm-hmm. and uh people are always looking for new elf commanders and the one that they've released in this uh in this commander box is really good uh she's just a really really good elf commander yeah so the um,
0: commander ryan's talking about is lateral blade of the elves two three elf noble for two Golgari, so two black green she has menace Whenever Lathrol Blade of the Elves deals combat damage to a player, create that many 1-1 green elf warrior creature tokens. And you can tap her and then tap 10 untapped elves you control. Yes, that's very confusing to try to explain, so if it, if you're having problems following, it's not your fault. Um, each opponent loses 10 life and you gain 10 life. And in an elf deck, that's not very difficult to pull off.
1: Yeah, and, and so this is a card that rewards you specifically. This is not like a... Uh, like- go narrow kind of card where it like just gives buffs to like your other elves or whatever exclusively this is a card that rewards you having an army of elves and going Mm -hmm. wide and then uh having an alternate win condition despite you know aside from just swarming your opponents which is is a way the traditional strategy which is but which is a strategy which has kind of its own issues, right? Mm-hmm. This one is like all your elves work together and do some kind of deathly magic and basically bites a chunk out of one of your opponents. Or is it all of your opponents, actually?
0: It's one. It's target opponent. Ah, it's target well, opponent. no, no, each opponent. I'm, excuse oh, each me. opponent.
1: Okay, so that's even better in this case. So you're, you're really sharing the pain in this case. So it's almost like a group sluggy kind of effect on a tribal commander. So that's something that i haven't really seen before um it's possible it exists somewhere but i I haven't seen an elf with an ability that requires that much kind of um uh tapping and then kind of has that kind of payoff attached to it and it Mm -hmm. is a really cool win condition i'll put it that way yeah i mean again you need to have
0: 11 total elves to be able to make this work, so it isn't the best honestly but if you think about it the fact that whenever she does damage to a player, and this is any sort of combat damage, you're going to create some tokens. So if you can find ways to make her unblockable, um, again, they don't have Rogue's Passage in this deck, but that's one of the classic ways to be able to do that sort of thing. There's other, there, there's other ways in Colorless, too. But but the fact is, is that you're going to want to make her unblockable, maybe put a little bit of equipment on her somehow, try to super up a little bit, and then start swinging in for some damage, and then hopefully create Elves and use the other elves to then eventually be able to start draining your opponents out and gain life. So it's a very interesting commander um, right here, especially since she has Menace, and this definitely looks like the kind of deck I would love to play.
1: Yeah, and because it's this isn't just like a mono-green elves kind of concoction, this is a green-black concoction, which is sort of the colors of the elves in in Kaldheim. There is sort of a um, like a Golgari... Focus in this instance on sacrificing things as well to power like the black side of it Not just the green create tokens slash ramp or whatever side, but also the utilizing those things to uh, Power other abilities, you Mm -hmm. know, which is pretty cool So there's cards in there that like have varying effects allow you to do targeted creature destruction or draw cards or uh, sort of fuel other engines in exchange for sacrificing things Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I think, and
0: and this seems ahead. like the kind of deck that, like, again, you can run a lot of the same like aristocrats uh, style cards like Zulaport, Cutthroat, Black Market, things like that, where you can get some value off those creatures dying because you're going to be creating tokens, killing tokens, and then you're going to be uh, able to gain like mana off of that or be able to do amazing things off of that just with some adding a couple of somewhat cheap cards into the deck for for upgrades. So this definitely seems like a very good start. And a very good introduction to the game for anyone who's interested in playing elves, since they are a very popular tribe.
1: Yeah, and, and unlike the uh, the previous sort of set commander precons, mm-hmm. like this one actually introduces. I think they're introducing a, a couple of new cards. In yeah, these ones. there like are eight. There are eight new cards, there eight new th-
0: cards in oh, this deck. Eight new
1: cards, as yeah. well as so ones... uh,
0: let's see, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten <clears> different <throat> cards that are printed in call time and are included in this deck.
1: Yeah, so there's new cards in here. And like I, I think, are those ones exclusive to these decks, or are they um, the, uh, shared? Yeah, the, the, with new, the new yeah
0: the, the new cards. So the eight new cards are exclusive to the commander decks. Yeah, the ten call time cards are taken from the call time set, and there are also three cards with new art.
1: Yeah, and that's that's pretty cool in and of itself. And also, but the the cards they that are exclusively available in these two. Uh, pre-cons are actually really good, some of the ones that are, but they also include, uh, in, in the, the blue-white uh, um, uh, version mm-hmm. of the pre-con, they include a card uh, called Doomscar, which is really good, uh, that, which is pulled directly from Kaldheim, uh, and, and it's a board wipe, essentially, with, uh, with Fortell. So let you like sneak attack a board wipe into play if someone uh, starts messing around with and having a board state that you don't like, you can be like, "Oh, hey, I'm gonna foretell this thing right into in the existence here and wipe this, like, before that person even has an idea of what's going on." You know, keep it in the wings so that you can use it in the most opportune time, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of other value too in these um, in the decks as well um, I, that come from some of the cards obviously both of the commanders i like the abilities that both of them have i I think maybe i lean a little more toward the the blue white sort of deck Mm -hmm. but that could also be because i'm not like the biggest fan of elves and like elf tokeny things and like playing green and making a lot of elves you're killing me ryan maybe i'm more of a goblin person like maybe a horde of goblins kind of kind of guy like bunch of hasty little, little guys with little stabby daggers and i am like <laughs> a bunch of like t- tree hippies um that live in the forest maybe that's just my personal preference here maybe it is i also because uh, the, the blue white guy he's got like an army of ghost people and that's pretty cool so yeah so
0: Rannar the ever watchful is a 2-3 legendary spirit warrior for two azorius. so that's two white blue As Flying and Vigilance, the first card you foretell each turn causes zero, which is real nice. Whenever you exile one or more cards from your hand, so foretell, and or permanents from the battlefield, create a 1-1 White Spirit creature token with flying. So basically this deck is going to be exiling cards with foretell. You're going to be also, yes, you're going to be exiling those cards from your hand, and you're also going to be blinking your permanents as well. You, You have Brago King Eternal, who is notorious for doing this sort of thing. You have, uh, again, Sun Titans in here. That's really good. Moldrifter, again, for, for, for card draw. But they also have things like Flicker Wisp that, and Ghostly Flicker and Eerie, Eerie Interlude that are really nice for exiling things that then come back. So you're going to be able to get a whole lot of value and a whole lot of spirits just out of this deck, just right out of the box.
1: Yeah, and I think I've I've heard uh, this commander uh, compared a lot to Brago, but I think there there are uh, distinct differences between him and Brago. I think he's a little less gross than Brago is mm-hmm. in terms of uh, his abilities. I think uh, also he he integrates uh, with with the new mechanic Foretell and that his ability triggers when you remove stuff from your hand, and also when stuff is removed from the battlefield, which means he's sort of like multi-pronged in that he's. Both parasitic with the the uh, mechanic introduced in the set, but also like has broader um, uh, like is, can be generalized to, to the broader world of magic and in when it comes to blinking things mm-hmm. or removing things from play, right? Um, and I think that gives them some additional value as well. Um, but I also don't think he has some of the issues that Braco does.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like out of these two, these are quite good values. It, it demonstrates that Wizards has really brought their A-game on this specific set of two Commander decks. And I think as we look towards the future for the set, these set decks, it, Wizards is obviously extremely interested in continuing these products, and they definitely seem worthwhile. I don't know if this means they're not going to be doing the standard Commander releases anymore, but I do think that these are worthwhile decks that if you're out there looking for something new to pick up, whether you're, again, whether you're new, you're trying to teach someone to learn how to play, or you're just trying to pick up a new commander deck, try a different strategy, I feel like these are a very good bang for the buck.
1: Yeah, definitely. And the, I, um, it'll be really interesting. Uh, I think I'm going to get one of the commander uh, pre-guns for the, the Kaldheim because those look pretty rad Mm -hmm. and it'll be interesting to to test those out and actually play with those and actually see how those are and maybe also be able to compare it with uh the the wyleth deck as well yeah it makes sense just sort of see where there are similarities and also maybe some differences in terms of like um spell selection and in terms of other characteristics like how how they play differently like are they on the same kind of like power level or are they roughly you know commensurate with each other Mm -hmm. so it'll
0: definitely be interesting to to see how these decks work, how Foretell seems to seems to play in not just standard, but again we're we're looking to see how well Foretell does in the commander community because again, I have seen some people freak out that it might be overly powerful. It does seem extremely powerful and there's not a lot of tech you can put in your decks to try to <laughs> deal with it. So it'll be interesting to see how that impacts our format. Mm, yeah, that that is true. So um, um any final thoughts on these decks before we wrap up?
1: No, I think I think I got uh, I, I talked about most of what I wanted to talk about, but I do I do think that I'd like to, you know just to, to hammer home the point that uh, I thought that there was some really good value in in buying one of these uh, precons, and I think that. Um, they're they're good even if you have multiple reasons for buying one whether you just don't have very many cards and you're attempting to like acquire a deck that you can actually play with or whether you are trying to like you know you have a collection of cards and you just want to break these to get get cards or whether you just want another deck that you can kind of play around with i think they're a really good um starting off point
0: yeah but they are also very weak in some ways especially the earlier decks so you are going to probably want to upgrade some of these at least a little bit to make them stronger because they, they do still have a lot of the mana base problems as well as some very... Like, the early ones have some extremely weird card selection in them. So, yeah, you, you're probably going to want to, to invest at least a little bit in these decks. But, yeah, on, on the overall, I'd say that these are getting better and... You know, who knows? Maybe in a year, these are going to really surpass the the standard Commander releases as the gold standard for Commander precons.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see whether these things coexist in the future, or whether these are like a one and done kind of deal.
0: Mm-hmm. And since we did have the Year of Commander out last year, um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how these things go forward. So, uh, like, are we going to have a
1: Year of Commander Part Two?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I that I do not know. That is the question. Anyway, I'd like to thank everyone so much for listening to us today. It's been great again having Ryan on the, on the podcast. And um, if you want to hear more about our thoughts about the precons or just want to talk to us in general, you can join us on our Discord. You can DM me on Twitter if you're interested in getting access to that. You can find me on Twitter at@, at MTG in Quarantine. You can also find back catalogs of this podcast on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Google Casts, and wherever fine podcasts are found. So I'd like to thank you, Ryan, for being on the show. It's been great as always.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. It's been good uh, sharing all uh, all my thoughts on uh, on this uh, emerging area of discussion. Well, thank you.
0: Thank you for your time, and thank you for playing Wyleth on some of our games last night. It was very enlightening to see how uh, Boros can be getting some card draw here real soon. Yeah. So, um, again, I want to thank everybody for being here. My name's MJ, and for Ryan and myself, you've been listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. Have a great rest of your day.